Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Thank you for coming on as part of the Public Domain Radio series on Social Distancing Radio. Everybody who's listening to this already knows me. So introduce yourself and tell us about yourself. Well, hi, my name is Elmarie Wood. I have been writing psychological horror for, oh, well, I guess I'll date myself, about 30 years. Oh, um, fantastic, though. <laughs> but I was a babe, a mere babe when I began. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I started and stopped several times, right? I mean, I, I mm-hmm. started to get some traction in the late 90s with poetry, if you can believe it. And it, it came easy to me, but it wasn't really like my thing, if you will. But it was dark and it was fast and I was able to do it. Um, I realized then that I should probably stop the, that, the, you know, stop with the uh, poetry and move on to short stories mm-hmm. as I prepared to write novels. So um, my first novel came out in 2004, Crescendo, and at the same time, I guess maybe two months between, my first short story collection came out, Caligony. And so 2004 was like a banner year. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a great year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I did all the, you know, all the rounds that were available then. Back then, it, there was nothing like this, of course, but, you know, you, I, I had some TV spots, which is pretty cool, and you know, some, some interviews on websites and things like that. And that was fun. Um, but then, you know, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I could keep going at this pace or I could start my family. And I chose the latter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I stepped out, you know, for a little while and now I'm back. So I've been writing, um, again, pretty seriously since I'd say 2016 and, um, uh, got a couple of things going on this year specifically that have been kind of fun. That is amazing. Uh, tell us, Wow, I feel like you're so much more accomplished than I am. Uh, it's like, you know, it's funny when you ever hear someone that says, oh, I never heard of this person before. They're like a one-hit wonder or like they just got on the scene. Not so much one-hit wonder. What's the, what is the term when someone all of a sudden is like a megastar but you never oh, heard of before? Right, yeah. Uh, that, you know it off the top of your head? I can't think of no, it. No, I don't. It's escaping me. Now it's going to bug me all night. Watch. But whatever that is, those are not real. Like they're always people like me who've been working forever and ever and ever. <laughs> absolutely. And is absolutely all, of sudden, true. all of a sudden something sticks, you know, and um, I've been, this year has been like the year of things sticking. Maybe I'd even say 2019 and 2020 have been the years of things sticking. And it kind of all started when I failed at something, which is interesting. <laughs> so I, um, go ahead. Oh, no, that's, I, I think that's magnificent. I just, I love it. <laughs> well, in, in a, a, my, one of my short stories is in Sycorax's Daughters. 
and it's a, the anthology made it all the way to the finalist level for the Bram Stoker Award, but we didn't win. And that's okay, because from that, you know, first of all, just being involved in such a project was just mind-blowing and amazing, right? But then from that, I got a, a multi-book book deal. <laughs> right? You so can't like, beat that. I have to remind them, I'm like, dude, we didn't win. <laughs> but that's yeah, okay. Right? It doesn't matter. Winning's not the end game all the time. It's just the work. The journey is truly the joy. You know, it's not when you're done, then what? You know, you have to do something else. Yeah. So, you know, I have the, the deal and it, what's very cool about that is, you know, I said some things are happening this year. So my third novel is coming out in October, October 29th, in fact. It's called The Realm. So that's, this is the first novel coming out of that merger, that adventure that, that I have with Cedar Grove Publishing. That is fantastic. So, okay. So you have this novel, say the name again. I want to make sure that everybody has plenty of chance to hear it. Oh, sure. We, I could, I should have worn my shirt that said the realm. Ah, I could have, it would have reminded me to keep saying it. So the, the book is called the realm Mm -hmm. and it's coming out on October 29th. It's a horror sci-fi mashup that really dives into human fear. I mean, from, the first three sentences, you are, the, the character's terrified and so will you be. <laughs> I love it already. Horror science fiction combos are like my favorite genre combos. So yeah, cool. I, you get the imaginativeness of science fiction, but you also get like the intense emotional experience of horror. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. That's, that's the I best. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. And I, I really like cross genre. Like just why not, right? I mean, as a psychological horror author, I kind of straddle the line with thriller anyway, you know, and then of course thriller straddles with suspense. So I'm kind of always on the edge, you know, and I don't, I do, I'm not going to say I don't ever do any gore because I do. I mean, I'm a horror author, but the gore is not necessarily my focus. So I'm kind of always, you know, kind of mixing genres. So this was kind of natural for me and it was it was fun to to write then it was fun to read <laughs> i wrote the second book right after reading you know my last edit for the first one so that one's done so and that one was just as much fun it's great i'm very magnificent. excited about it. Hmm? that's magnificent ah thank you <laughs> i just love it that's so great uh so what are you reading for us today Oh, today I'm going to actually read a great vampire fiction story called The Pale Lady. It's by Alexander Dumas. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, uh, no. Uh-uh. Ah, this is great. So, I mean, people think The Three Musketeers, you know, or The Count of right. Frisco. Vampire fiction. <laughs> he did pretty much everything. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this short story was out, I think he published it in 1849. And, um, you know, I, I like vampires. I think that when I do decide to go truly just stick to my genre and write an antagonist that is traditional, I usually pick vampires. So, you know, I was doing a lot of reading. And of course, you know, I love Dracula. Everyone does. <laughs> you know, everyone who's ever read it can't come away from it saying it was terrible. Right. They just can't. By um, coincidence, right now, the normal content of this podcast is me reading Dracula. Oh, fantastic. See, of course, yeah. you know, you know what I mean. Uh, but I, I wanted to know more about, you know, just some, some older, because there's, there's all the current vampire stuff, and then there are the movies, of course, and um, 
I just wanted to dig deeper and go kind of back and see what I could find. And I couldn't believe this gem that I happened upon. I really couldn't believe I mean, I love Camilla as well. I don't know if it's uh, Sheridan Lafanu. I love that one too, but. Oh, that's a favorite. Yeah, but the, the Pale Lady is definitely worth the time. So yeah. Nice. Oh, okay. I'm really excited. <laughs> and, and what are you going to read, read to us of yours? Well, I was going to give you a little bit of the dance. I could, um, I think just because we're talking about slaying, it kind of sticks with the vampire vibe. Totally. So I'll give a little snippet of that if that's okay. That sounds fantastic. I am so ready. Oh, excellent. That's good. Because this is, this is, well, just let me just tell you, let me not even continue to talk about it. I'll have, I'll just read it for you when you're ready. <laughs> oh, fired up. Let's go. Okay. So I'm, I'm always start ready about halfway in because it's not, I'm, there's a lot of buildup and you know, th- I said 1849. So we've all read the classics before and you know how verbose the, they can be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to skip some of that for you, but um, we'll start sort of at like the moment of, of understanding, if you will. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. All right. About seven in the evening, as twilight was falling, I saw Kostaki cross the castle court. He wheeled around to look in my direction, but I I started back to avoid him seeing me. I felt anxious, for as long as the situation of my window allowed me to follow his movements, I had observed that he was making his way toward the stables. I I made bold to unbolt my door and slipped into the next room from the window of which I could see perfectly what he was about. Yes, he was going to the stables. Presently, he brought out his favorite horse, saddled the animal with his own hands, and this with with a minute care that showed he attached the greatest importance to the smallest details. He wore the same costume as on the day I had first seen him, but on this occasion, his only weapon was his saber. He mount, his mount saddled he cast his eyes once more to my window. Then, not seeing me, he leapt into the saddle, rode out by the same gate by which his brother had left the castle and would return, and away at a hard gallop in the direction of the monastery of Hango. Then my heart contracted in a spasm of dread. A fatal presentment told me that Kostaki was going to meet and confront his brother. I lingered at the window as long as I could make out the track, which a quarter of a league from the castle made a bend and disappeared among the first trees of the forest. But darkness was rapidly descending and every trace of the road soon became visible. I lingered on and on. At last, the very excess of my disquietude restored my energy. And as it was evidently in the great hall below that I was likely to receive the first tidings of one or the other of the brothers, I went down thither. My first look was for Simrande. Simrande? I'm going to say Simrande. Go for it. It's it's what it looks like. (laughs) But the calmness of her face told me she was under no special apprehension. She was giving her orders for the customary supper, and places were laid as usual for the brothers. I dared not question anyone. Indeed, who could I question? Nobody at the castle, Kostaki and Gregorsky accepted, could speak either of the only two languages I knew myself. The slightest sound set me trembling. Nine o'clock was the ordinary hour for the meal. I had come down at half past eight, 
I watched anxiously the minute hand, the movement of which was almost visible on the huge face of the castle clock. Soon the quarter sounded sad and solemn, and the hand went on silent on its silent way again. And once more, I watched the minutes march off slowly but surely. A few minutes before nine, I thought I heard a horse gallop into the courtyard. Smirande heard it too and, off, and turned her head towards the window, but the night was too dark for her to see anything. If she had but cast one glance at me, how easily she might have guessed what was passing in my heart. We heard but only one horse. Indeed, what else was to be expected? My heart told me only one horseman would return, but which? Steps sounded in the antechamber, slowly, heavy, slow, heavy steps that seemed to oppress my soul. The door opened. I saw a shadow outlined in the gloom. The shadow halted on the threshold. My heart trembled in suspense. The shadow came forward, and it, as it entered, Further and further into the lighted rooms, I breathed again. Another second of such tension in my heart would have stopped beating. Gregoriska stood before me, but pale as a dead man. Oh, I love <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And it gets better. It's such a good book. Love it. Oh, I love everything about that. I especially love like... I, it's one of my favorite horror tropes. The notion of the character like observing out the window or otherwise like hiding and seeing what someone else thinks they're doing in secret. Right. Like, because I find that horrifying to imagine that happening to me. Yes. You know? <laughs> and so like, and in a horror story, I love to read it happening because it's just so terrifying. It always makes me think how glad I am. I'm not in a horror story. One hopes <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> But like I love, oh, I love everything about that, and I love it's the fine detail story. about things like like saddling the horse himself, and mm -hmm. like how careful and cautious he is with that. Like mm -hmm. everything about this, like lends such a great feeling of suspense, and yep. like building towards something. You know, oh, so good. And see, that's my kind of horror. I and like I said, I write psychological horror, so I want you to. You know, make me wonder what's going on. Keep me on the edge of my seat. You know, scaring me immediately in a way that's so visual or so obvious. Eh, now what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but when you have something like this, I mean, the build is, and what you didn't know about the story is that these two brothers have fallen in love with this woman. But did you notice she said she was bold enough to unbolt her door? She yeah. had her door bolted against them. Yeah. So, you know, I know why, but from that snippet why you know what is it about these guys and now one of them is here she says i did i knew one would come back which one which one did she want right yeah. and it's it's such a just the, the suspense you know yeah it I raises question after question after question mm -hmm. <clears throat> and creates all these little opportunities for something to go wrong mm -hmm. and suggests the possibility that they're that there are other things that we are not aware of that somebody right. is prepared to see go wrong. Right. And that itself raises new questions that I love because I, I feel like an engaged reader can't help but try to figure out all the possible worst answers. Mm -hmm. And see, I love in my that. Mind, in my mind, you, to truly write well, you know, and this is just my perception of it. 
Um, and when, when you're on my end of the quiet, like quiet horror and psychological horror, we, we often speak like this. I mean, you know, the other folks are just, and their scares are good, no doubt. I mean, I love a vampire story. I love a good zombie story. So yeah. Just scare me, they'll do it. But, but on the other side, the goal is to engage the reader. So have them have these questions. Only answer some of them. Don't leave them hanging such that they feel like, you know, well, you left something on the table. But you want them to walk away from the story going, wow, did anyone ever find, you know, the girl in the closet? I'm making this up, right? Sure. Did anyone ever, you know, find that girl? Oh, she died in there. You know, those kind of things. That you do. And the, the reader goes on to add on to your story things that you never even wrote in the piece. <laughs> yeah. Because you made them think. Yeah. That's I a always... partnership between author and, write, and reader. Oh yeah. That sort of symbiotic relationship. That sort of, um, there's a term that I'm not thinking of all of a sudden, but it's, it's that idea of like a cycle that feeds on it's a feedback loop. There's a uh-huh. feedback loop there that becomes very good for everybody. You know, yeah. I like horror that makes the reader want to lean closer, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like every emotional effect is more significant when they do that rather than when they just immediately throw the book across the room and say, no, uh-uh. Right. And I, I find, you know, as a horror author, you, know, you have a lot of people who are just, there's a wall up for horror. They're like, absolutely not. This is not what I want to read or see, or I don't want any of that. And I have to try and, you know, remind them that there are so many different types of horror fiction. <laughs> you know, it yeah. may not be this bloody glory, torture filled thing that you're thinking of. Yeah. That doesn't mean, going to scare you and it won't resonate and stick to you forever you know i've had people who i've seen years later saying i still gosh that one thing happened in your story and it just bugs me and that's cool that you know they didn't they weren't so frightened that they couldn't finish it you know but then they finished it and now they're like oh no (laughs) (laughs) and i mean i don't know as a writer that's what i'm hoping to have i mean something that sticks you know something that really means something to you and impacts you in some way, but not because of, from my perspective, not because of some sort of a, in the movies, we would call it a jump scare, you know, nothing like that. I want you to legitimately be frightened by something yeah. as opposed to being terrified by the music or a loud bang or, you know, someone popping up out of nowhere when they really couldn't have been there anyway, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. And this story for me was, is just the tension, just, like with gothic horror in general, the tension is so palpable that I just keep reading and I love it. <laughs> That's magnificent. Thank you so much for reading that. Oh, you're wow. welcome. Um, so what are you reading next? Oh, I'm happy to read a little bit of The Dance. Yes, please. So The Dance is the story that I'm having in Slay. And mm-hmm. since we're talking about vampire fiction, I figured we'd keep it there. It's totally different from what I just read. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a mashup of sorts, but not, not in this way. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's about a vampire, right? And I kind of, when I write about vampires, sometimes I lean towards the sexy vampire. Because, I mean, for me, I remember the, the interview with the vampire. Not so much reading the book, but when we watched the movie, I mean, the cast, forget about it, please. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone yeah. in the cast <laughs> was someone to look at. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's what I'm talking about. That's what a vampire looks like, of course. <laughs> Antonio Banderas, whatever. He's a vampire like that, secondary. 
on. Just, you know? Yeah. Sign me up. I can do eternity. No problem. I, I, if, if this is who I'm hanging out with, honestly, come on. Yeah. When yeah. I watched that movie in the theater, when it came out, I watched it in, uh, <laughs> I watched it in a theater in, uh, on the outskirts of Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so this was at a time when Asheville was not the like super cool place that it is now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was just like the redneck town where I grew up. And I'm sitting there watching it and the theater is packed and I hear this redneck, like just the thickest redneckest accent woman behind me when uh, Louis and Armand are standing in the Louvre Mm -hmm. and Armand has said, come with me, you know, introduce me to the rest of the world that I don't Mm -hmm. understand. And Louis is thinking about it and it is such an incredibly tense and also very hot moment in the movie. Mm -hmm. And this redneck woman behind me yells out, if they kiss, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and, I, and I said just as loudly as I could, kiss him for the love of God, kiss him. Right? I don't yeah. know anyone who didn't think, please kiss. Yeah, <laughs> Someone right? has to kiss. It was so obvious. The tension yeah. was so palpable. I mean, I think I've said that very phrase a minute ago about something else, but it's true. And I think it was kind of groundbreaking in terms of what we saw in cinema. I mean, you kind of assume certain things. You assume certain relationships and certain certain aspects of vampirism, you know, kind of lend themselves. But it was never really shown. And even then, they didn't show anything. The implication was very clear. Very clear. That was the first (laughs) book that I read and said, oh, this is about queer characters and it and they have been disguised Mm -hmm. so that non-queer characters will be able to enjoy the book which is a shame but i'm also glad we have it to be honest yeah me too somebody handed it to me when i was a freshman in college and said michael williams you want to read this book and then Mm -hmm. i did it was great it's a great book right yeah i mean the movie's fantastic but the book is like wow (laughs) and they're they're like they, there's something that's one of the rare instances where the movie is fantastic and stands on its own. Right. And the book is fantastic and stands on its own. And neither of them detracts from the other by existing. True, true. true. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, and, and so this story kind of is along the lines of kind of that influence. I mean, I definitely was influenced by that. And I think so many of us were because it was kind of like, finally, okay. I mean, this is the real deal. Come on, yeah. <laughs> let's do this. You know, so I wrote this story and it, I wrote it in the middle of the night one night and it was like maybe maybe 30 minutes in the making, to be honest. It's about 4,000 words, which isn't too bad. But, you know, like I didn't, like when I walked into my office and sat down, I had no intentions of writing, of writing anything. I was going to read email. And all of a sudden, here's this 4,000 word thing that I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I'm excited to have it be involved in Slay and you know, and then I appreciate the opportunity that I've told you where my influence came from with that one. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so let's, let's hear it. Perfect. Okay. All right. I stood in the hall in the, I'm just, let's start again. I stood in the doorway watching her. I couldn't take my eyes off her body, the way she moved. Her hand danced in the middle of her back as she swayed. Her hips rolled rhythmically to the beat of the music. Her gyrations were slow and hypnotic, at one with the bass. 
Her breast rose and fell, almost still. I could look at her forever. She turned and saw me watching. Her lips parted in a sensual smile that confused me more than any of the feelings stirring within me had. Did she like me looking at her? Did she, with her engaging eyes and coy smile, want me to blanket her body with my eyes? To stare at her as I had been. My own lips parted with the thought, glistening with moistness that was flooding my mouth. My eyes trained on her until there was nothing else. Some part of me, some distant civility was embarrassed by my behavior, my staring, my disregard for the manners I had been taught as a child. That same part of me turned its back as warmth crept its way up from my stomach to my chest and then to my lips, lips that longed to feel hers against them. My God, I shook my head against my feelings, against her, but she stared back at me, her gaze unwavering. Could she know what I was thinking? Did she? Now I'm going to stop here. Just okay. Like that much because it, it gets good right away. <laughs> so I don't want to give it away. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love it. Thank you. Uh, that like gets right at that notion of the seductive predator. I'm yeah. not even totally sure which of them is the predator. And that's even better. Uh, you just said something I'm never going to forget. This is the moment. I mean, and all the way through, you're like, wait, it's like this weird, like power play. Yeah. And it started right away. And it, it's the challenge to your own self that begins that whole process. So yeah, thank you. See, this is why I write psychological horror. It's awesome when someone actually gets it and you're like, when you can witness it. Yeah! <laughs> I like, I literally have goosebumps. I cannot wait to read Slay. Oh my God. Uh, that is awesome. That's so, so awesome. Excited. Um, but yeah, like that, the, the, the notion of like, my favorite vampires are either vampires that are sort of like trapped in mundane practicalities mm-hmm. uh, and, and just the comedy of, of immortal beings having to deal with things like that. Um, <laughs> but also like, I love vampires as the enticing other, you know, mm-hmm. the thing that we know on some level is not us, but we really want to get closer to that. Mm-hmm. You know, as I love vampires as the flame that you can't resist staring mm-hmm. into. Right. And, and that scene really captures that just like perfectly gets that notion that the narrator knows that they are falling into their own observation of this person in a way that is possibly dangerous for them. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't even know which, who's the predator, who's the prey. We don't know what makes that particularly dangerous. Um, but that sense that that person has of like, I am more fascinated by this than I would have ever thought possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried about that. And I'm going to give in to that fascination. That is the stuff. Let me tell you. Ah, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the, the, the question of why, but in so many, applied to so many different aspects. Like, what, what am I doing? Why am I looking? Why am I, I know, now I know I'm looking. Why did I keep looking? Oh, she's looking at me. I should probably stop that. Well, why haven't I stopped it? You know, 
what, I know that you're not supposed to behave like this in public. What am I doing? But I don't know. <laughs> I can't really turn away. And it's fascinating. And it, go, it, gets, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And it gets really, you know, just it's a sort of an investigation of how this is a moment in your brain, in anyone's brain, you know, stuff that we never tell anybody that we thought about, you know, because if you're looking at, it could be anything, a candy bar, you want the candy bar, but you're supposed to be on a diet and you want this candy bar. You stand there looking at the silly candy bar. And this conversation is going in your head. The only difference is the, the thing looking back at you happens to be a vampire who, you know, you don't know if they notice you or not, but if they did notice you, then they're, they're trying to entice you on purpose and you, you know, you're yeah. kind of doomed. But it's, it's that sort of exploration of the, your own psyche, of the world around you, moments in time, that's like where I like to sit. You know, I mean, I, I wrote a short story once called uh, Observations in a Supermarket. And it was literally just about a person trying to choose different cheeses. You know, they go up, they go to get their cheese, but the lady next to them is like mumbling. She's got two different types of shredded, finely shredded, th the thicker shreds, or should she get blocked? And she is literally mumbling to herself. And you know, when you, when you don't think anyone's looking at you, you make the strangest faces. <laughs> so, you know, and you can make that kind of stuff a little creepy if you if you try you know totally. so this person's making a strange face and talking to herself and then answering herself oh no <laughs> and it's literally a three minute moment getting your own cheese and looking at somebody else who's having some sort of an issue that's fantastic though i <laughs> i love everything you just said so much <laughs> oh my Thank god you. i'm so excited to read this uh because like there it's partly what's funny about it to me is that you started talking about a story about cheese. And the thing I had started to say earlier when I said that this, you know, they are the, the flame we can't resist staring into is the cheese in the trap is always the most attractive. That's right. You know? That's right. Um, I don't know if it translates for me to tell that so out of order, but that's what was in my brain. I don't know. I love it. Cheese. We're still talking about cheese. Okay. Hey, that always works too. Maybe cheese is my vampire. I don't know. If I were a vampire, I'd probably be a vampire that ate cheese. I would, um, I would absolutely be. Oh, yeah, totally. So where can people find you? Several places. My website is www.lmariewood.com. Um, I am also on Twitter at lmariewood1, but L, M, and the W are capital. So lmariewood1. Okay. Um, I am, gee, I'm like all over the place, really. <laughs> but I am an officer with a group called Dwasif, Diverse Writers and Artists of Speculative Fiction. I'm the director of curricula for that group and curricula and outreach. So, Ooh. yeah, that's DWA, Dwasif, DWA. Okay, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I never like, I just type it in and I can't. DWASF.org. <laughs> okay. And, and we, uh, you know, we provide lots of things there. Um, there's, of course, blog posts, and I do an interesting um, uh, blog about uh, the gore you, didn't, you never asked for. Because I told you I do do gore sometimes, but it's right. the gore you never asked for. And it's kind of, it's, a, it's an interesting thing about stuff that happens in real life that is kind of like, ugh, like fairy tales. They're scary. Yeah. Santa Claus. Come on, really? Um, 
taxidermy. (laughs) (laughs) So those are up there. There's a fourth one up there as well. The the title escapes me, but I run that. I not run that. I post that. Um, But we do, you know, those kind of things that are fun. We also do some informative, you know, here's some writing tips. Here's some, you know, some essays about specific, uh, you know, concepts within the genre. Um, we're going to be posting our first class soon. And interestingly enough, it's the horror writing class that I wrote for the platform. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and so stay tuned for that. If you just go to the site, you'll see when that's getting posted. Um, and just, you know, basically we're just another location for people who are interested in writing and are coming from a diverse background that want to learn some tips from folks who have kind of, you know, been there, done that and are willing to help share. So Wow. Yeah, I've run the horror track for Multiverse Con. No way. Do it's fun. Love it. Love it. Love it. I've but, heard you know, such amazing things about Multiverse. I wanted to go to Multiverse this year, and then I thought, well, and this is like in January when we made mm-hmm. all of our plans for cons. And I said, well, I'm going to be a Dragon Con. I'm probably by then going to be kind of conned out for the year. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't apply to Multiverse or anything because what if I just don't feel like going to a con by the time October rolls around. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, why did I not apply to multiverse? Because everybody I know now has said multiverse is basically the best thing ever. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool to hear. We're yeah. having a good time with it. You know, we wanted to do something different. And I, I really feel like we're succeeding at that. I mean, the last year's event was outstanding. We had so much fun. And, you know, we're, we're talking about stuff from a different perspective. It's one thing to, you know, say that panels should be diverse or we should have more quality or accessibility, you know, buzzwords, right? Those yeah. are buzzwords, but we're like embodying it as opposed to just kind of, I, I've spoken on, and I can't, I don't want to be disparaging about a panel of this title, but I've been on many panels that are African-Americans in horror fiction. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's, that's what I write. And I'm African American. Sure. Okay. It makes sense that I'm there. But now what, what are you asking? What are we talking about that? I am an African American in horror fiction. There's so much more than that. You know, what are we, what are we, what kind of flavor do we bring to the table? Well, how do we impact the subgenres that we are writing? You know, where, is there any link towards anything traditional? Any, any link towards other, you know, again, cross genres and mixing. What other things do we do? I mean, I think that what, what we end up, when you talk about diversity, I think the key thing that needs to be understood is that, you know, diversity can also be a buzzword, but it wouldn't be if we all realized that it exists. Diversity is real. Let's embrace that. And then we can all talk about horror in a general in a general sense and not feel the need to talk about the, the horror author who is Latina, you know, or, you know, or whatever, the cosplay artist who is from South Africa. I don't know. I mean, you know, it, I just right. feel like you, you've got to, there's an embracing that needs to happen in a level playing field that needs to occur to make these things not seem so unique. Because mm-hmm. that's not my reality is I've always been African-American. I mean, surprise, right? I've been writing horror since I was five. So for me, real life. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing unique about it. And I shouldn't have to, like, make it be unique to be noticed. But it's the world we live in. And with multiverse, we're doing it in a way that doesn't sort of speak to, well, here's the LGBTQ panel. And it's, just, it's only that. 
because yeah. the people on here, you know, no. How about how do you make the, the, the characters truly have meat? You can't just have a character that might identify, but that's it. <laughs> There's flavor around it all. And we've been really good about bringing out that flavor. So it's kind of exciting to be involved. You know, this, I was in for the very first one and I'm still here round two. You know, we hope we wanted to be in person, of course, but the world has just changed everything. But we're doing our event online and, you know, the panel breakdown is still really good. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be involved here. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm definitely going to be linking to that. And I'm going to be linking to DWASF and to your Twitter and your website and anything else, all the ways that we can figure out to find you online. Because I really want people to get more exposure to your stories. And I really want people to get to know more about that organization and about multiverse as well. One of the few good things about or good outcomes of the current circumstance is that cons I do think are getting to be more accessible to people because they've had to move online. So I know people who, who have said repeatedly, I am never going to spend Labor Day in Atlanta. I'm just never going to drive down there for six hours and, you know, because that's how far I am from it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then spend the whole weekend and it'd be really expensive. So I know people whose first Dragon Con ever was this, whose mm. take was, that's the only kind of Dragon Con I'll ever have, you know. Mm. And I'm planning to watch some panels with Multiverse for sure. And I think hopefully that will really whet people's appetite to come back to the in-person events when those are possible again. I hope they do. And I, what I do hope also is that we, you know, I think that the landscape is going to change in general for, because what, just like in business, I'm sure you've experienced this as well. Companies have realized they can actually do some things online. You know, we don't, yeah. in-person is great, but online still works too. And like you mentioned, the accessibility of the cons now um, so I'm all for in person because that's how you interact and meet people. But if you, if that's not in the cards for you and online is an option, you're willing to investigate. then I absolutely think we have to look into that. Um, yeah. and I think that, like I said, the landscape will change and next year will look different than the first year looked. And I mean, I'm just, I'm excited to be here and watch all this change happen because in general, multiverse is about changing. <laughs> so it's kind of like perfect. It's like a perfect placement. So yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting. That's magnificent. Thank you so much for being here. This has been such thank a pleasure you. getting to hear oh, you read you. and getting to hear you talk about your horror and, and like what drives you to write that. I have loved this. <laughs> thank you so much. I have too. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, the folks who are listening, thanks for joining us and look, check the show notes for links to everything. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.